Good afternoon to you. How are you doing this Thursday afternoon? Hey, incidentally, somebody asked me, why did you drop the news bulletin, Richie, at the beginning of every programme? Well, I did that last year because it was all COVID. COVID, COVID. So there was no point in paying for it because it was just COVID and I can do plenty of COVID myself. That's the reason it may return in the future. I have no idea. Who knows? Who knows? Watch this space, as it were. Live from Salford, your Richie Allen Show. BBG with you till seven. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And a little bit later on, I'll be joined live from Derby, I think from Derby, it might not be, by Garazike, great friend of mine, who's got a terrific program called Right Now on the iconic platform every Friday. And he's a great guy, top man. Looking forward to reconnecting with him. It's been, well, it's been about six or eight months, I think, since he was on last. He'll chat with me about everything and anything in the second hour. Before that... We'll chat to you and me about, well, some of the stories in the, in the news. We'll have a chat about some of the headlines. I'll opine, and you can opine as well. Your opinion matters. It matters to me. It's BBG Richie on Twitter. You can also email me through the website, contact me through the website during the programme, and I will read out your comments as I go along. Very little chat today about the Delta Plus variant. Did you notice that? Have you got your ear to radio and to telly? just as I do. For some strange reason, not much chat about the Delta Plus variant, all gone very quiet. Little bit of housekeeping, don't listen to the programme anymore on Spotify. Let's have a protest. It seems that Spotify is regularly cutting out segments of the programme. Usually when I have an expert on, a doctor on, or it could be a phone-in, it could be anything. When I chatted with Jackie Devoy and the families of people who died in suspicious circumstances, you might remember midazolam and morphine, uh, that was pretty much all of a programme last Thursday week, I think two weeks ago. Anyway, Spotify, I should say, cut that. So you only got 20 or 25 minutes of the programme. Don't use Spotify then. I upload to Podomatic. That's who I pay to archive the programme because it's a live radio show. It isn't a podcast. It's a live radio show that gets archived and then podcasted later on. So just don't use Spotify, all right? Plenty of other places you can use iTunes, Podbean, but Podomatic is the one I pay. I pay them, you see. All right. Uh, Very quickly, I do not want to spend much time on this because I really couldn't be arsed. A little word on Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who was on with me on Tuesday. The Edmonton, Canada, based based in Edmonton, pathologist, guy who got his medical degrees at Cambridge. He emailed me this morning. Very curt, very cold, no dear Richie, no nothing. The email went as follows. I am cancelling the next planned interview on Monday, June 28th. I have become aware of your show giving airtime to anti-Semites, which disturbs me greatly. Dr. Kuldorf was smeared by The Guardian for appearing on your show. 
Dr. Hodkinson. Oh dear, no dear Richie, no pleasantries. Which is kind of strange because he'd sent me half a dozen emails since Tuesday. Richie this and Richie that, best show I've been on, loved it, blah, 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 what a pro. But it turns out that someone claiming to be a journalist, someone who has interviewed Roger also, told him that he should stay away from my show because he could get into trouble. Because I'd had so-called anti-Semites on. I'm not going to mention that person. I won't pollute the airwaves. And I won't mention it again. Um, which I have, of course. Of course I've interviewed anti-Semites. When you do over 20... Uh, sorry, when you do over 250 live radio programmes a year, for many, many, many years, you speak to everybody. Anyway, my response to him was a bit more courteous and professional. And I'm going to leave it there. I pointed out that I've been a journalist for over 20 years. I've probably interviewed so-called genuine anti-Semites on a dozen occasions. They were robustly challenged because that's what I do because I don't share their worldview. And I do make a point of seeking out people whose views differ from mine. Otherwise, it's a boring programme. Now, Professor Martin Kuldor from Harvard University was smeared by The Guardian last year when he came on with me, but I can't do anything about that. They attempted to associate him with the opinions of people that I interviewed over the years. I pointed out to Hodkinson today, think about that, it's ludicrous. They went after him, not because of anything I've said, but rather what the guests have said. It's mad, isn't it? But that's the way it is. They did the same to Sir Desmond Swain. The Tory party whip, believe it or not, told Desmond Swain he was never to come on the Richie Allen show again. Swain said, why? It was all right. I enjoyed it. Well, because he had these people on over the years. This is how crazy it is. I finished by pointing out to Roger Hodkinson that I have a nightly audience of over 200,000 listeners. The podcast is downloaded about 2 million times a month and I use the platform to give a voice to people who have experience and professional expertise. And that's all I do. I'm not important. I do that and I enjoy it. I'll continue to do it. So there you are. So Roger Hodkinson won't be on this programme on Monday to talk about shedding. He won't be on the programme ever again. And you will never hear me mention that ever again. End of story. Six minutes past five. This is your Richie Allen radio show. Do, by the way, check in regularly with richieallen.co.uk, my website. There are times you'll find interesting articles on there. Other times you'll find poorly written crap. <laughs> because I write them sometimes at stupid o'clock in the morning. Not that I'm a good writer anyway, but I do. But a couple of interesting things. A very important story. Let's give credit to The Telegraph for some decent, that's how we say it back home, some decent journalism. Telegraph pointed out that the number of kids, youngsters, children under 17 who are being prescribed antidepressants, dear listener, is at an all-time high. The pandemic, or as we would call it, the so-called pandemic, or the scamdemic, or the plandemic. Right. It has seen a 40% increase in drugs being given to children because they are traumatised. And one psychological expert, or excuse me, psychological expert, one expert in child psychology told The Telegraph, would you believe, that locked in trauma 
is a real thing and many children are suffering it. Repeated lockdowns, school closures, isolation and this fear in children that they might spread the virus and harm others is, well, it's crippling them emotionally. More than 27,000 children were prescribed antidepressants last year and two-thirds of the cases involve girls. It's killing girls. Yeah, it's dreadful. So you won't get me now to, you know, I'm not going to get all melodramatic on this. I don't have my own children, but I love children. I love the company of them. I always have done my entire life. They're destroying children, destroying them. There's no other way to to put that. They're doing it willingly and knowingly, ruining them. So much so that they're ending up on antipsychotic medication. And one psychotherapist told The Telegraph that the waiting lists for counselling and psychotherapy are so long that doctors are not waiting and are just prescribing these very dangerous drugs. They are dangerous. They are. We know they are. Many of these antipsychotic, antidepressants are dangerous and have no business being given to children, but they are. It's uh, nine and a half minutes past five. What do you say to that? I don't know. Also, uh, uh, I'm going to talk more about climate change. I did upload the video, just in case you had trouble finding it yourself, of Tucker Carlson's brief interview with the Climate Depot guy, um, who's going to be on this programme next week, by the way, talking about climate lockdowns. We might talk a little bit about that in later on this hour. Remember, uh, the one and only uh, Gareth Ike will be with me a little bit later on. You'll find him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Gareth Ike. Let's talk about Enzo. Enzo, I love this. This is great. A pub landlord in Newport, which is in Wales, says that pictures of football fans hugging and shouting while watching Wales in the European Soccer Championships are upsetting him. Why? Why would a pub manager be upset at photographs of Wales fans in other pubs jumping up and down, hugging and kissing? Well, Newport pub manager Enzo Negro, that's N-I-G-R-O, that's his name, Enzo Negro, he said his pub is having weekly council spot checks, but there's nobody spot checking all these other places where the fans are singing and dancing and jumping up and down. Well, the only thing to do is get Enzo on the radio to explain, so BBC Radio Wales did that. This is one of those surreal, surreal interviews. Um, Talking about fans in Amsterdam, of course, because we can't be there, uh, many of us are booking into the local pub to watch the game. But you might have seen videos on social media of large crowds celebrating Wales getting into the round of 16 at some areas in pubs over the weekend. Well, a letter from people who work in the pub industry called the Brewers of Wales is now calling for social distancing rules to be enforced properly. Enzo Negro is the senior manager of the Potter's Pub in Newport. Morning, Enzo. Morning. What did you think when you saw some of those pictures? <laughs> this is marvellous. Now, this is a genuine pub manager in Newport. He's upset because they're singing and dancing in other pubs, but not his. Well, it's it's upsetting because obviously we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and you see that. And 
it's frustrating that nobody, uh, not everybody, is abiding by the rules. And, and what has it been like for you then in enforcing the rules? How hard is it to to tell customers, you know, don't don't chant, don't cheer, don't sing? Well, we've got obviously track and traces. People come in, they got uh, you know to their tables, and they're told consumption at the tables. They're not allowed to chant, sing, and we've you know we're walking around monitoring it constantly. And it's hard work, especially when Wales score. You've got to give them the 30 seconds of excitement because you're never going to stop it. Um, and then you've got to tell everybody to calm down and sit down. You know, you're like a school teacher telling children how to behave, you know. Like a school teacher telling people how to behave. People come in, they go uh, you know, to their tables and they're told consumption at the tables. They're not allowed to chant, sing. And we've, you know, we're walking around monitoring it constantly. And it's hard work, especially when Wales score. That's not a parody. That isn't a parody. That's not a sketch. That's real. Enzo is real. And it, it, it goes on. That sounds stressful. It is, it is. It's very stressful. And then people are looking at you, you know, with disgust. With disgust. You know, it's it's hard work. So, Constantly sort of monitoring every table in the pub. So did you have to tell customers that they couldn't sing the national anthem? I mean, how did that go down? Well, that's right. It doesn't go down well. Sing it to yourself. But it's hard work. And, of course, alcohol involved as well. Do, do, do people get a bit cross about it? Yes, yeah, 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 of course they do. I mean, once you've had a few drinks, you know, you don't care. You just, you know, do what you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Like singing, you know. <laughs> like singing. When you've had a few drinks, you do what you're not supposed to do, like singing, you know, says Enzo Negro, the pub landlord in Newport. What can be done then? What would you like Wales First Minister Mark Drakeford to do on your behind? You know, Mr Drakeford has got to step up and um, relax the rules or, um, you know, let people come to the bar, let them walk around. You know, we've got to constantly tell people because we've got a roof terrace upstairs and they're not allowed to take their drinks upstairs. It's consumption at the tables, as our licensing in Newport tell us. And they're spot-checking us, you know, often. I've seen them once a week so far since we've opened. So, but there's nobody spot-checking all these um, other places. Yeah, that's what's really getting him. Not not that, that, that you know, they're coming in to, to tell him what to do in his pub, but that they're not doing it to anybody else because he's not got the courage to tell the local authority to take a running jump off the nearest pier, which is what I would do, and I'm sure it's what you would do, no, he's just whinging that other pubs are getting away with it. You you know, you see it on the news, you hear about places being able to go to the bar, but yet, you know, we're being monitored. And, and Who's I, monitoring everybody else? And then, so are you anxious about Saturday? I mean, are, are, you, are, you, um, are you fully booked? Yeah, Wales has got a big game on Saturday against Denmark in the last 16 knockout. His pub should be rammoed. Is he anxious about the fact that fans will be hugging and kissing? Should Wales score? Booked. Well, we're first come, first serve um, because we're going to upset people otherwise. Um, but yeah, it will be full while well, all the seats will be taken according to social distancing. 
Social distancing. Well, listen, I, I hope it goes well on Saturday. Um, and, and thank you very much for coming on and just telling us um, what it has been like so far. Enzo Negro, their senior manager of the... Enzo Negro, who's complaining about having a pub full of Welsh fans during Wales' European Championship bid. Yes, it's, it is vaudeville. This is the bit that got me, though. I love this bit about the national anthem. So did you have to tell customers that they couldn't sing the national anthem? I mean, how, Brilliant. How did that go down? How did it go down? Well, that's right. It doesn't go down well. Sing it to yourself. But it's... What was that? Sing it to yourself. Sing it to yourself. What was that? It doesn't go down well. Sing it to yourself. How do you do that? How do you sing Land of Our Fathers to yourself? It doesn't go down well. Sing it to yourself. But it's hard work. All right, all right. Fair enough. Enzo Negro there. Newport landlord. Whinging about having a pub full of taffies that are pissed right up who want to hug and jump up and down and sing and cheer and shout when whales score but but they can't they can't people come in they go uh, you know to their tables and they're told consumption at the table consumption at the table they're not allowed to chant sing and we've you know we're walking around monitoring it you can't chant you can't sing and we're going to walk around and monitor it constantly Indeed. 17 minutes past five, by the way. Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show. I'll be reading your tweets out as we go along. BBG Richie is the Twitter handle. Give that man a pair of bollocks. If you can, can you? No, you can't. There's never been a successful testicle transplant ever, has there? No, I don't think so. I'd give him one of mine. I'd donate him one of mine to help him get through the European Championships if he could give it back to me at the end. But I'm not sure anatomically, I'm not sure that's possible. But then again, what the hell do I know? Shall we have a tune before we go any further? Let's have a tune. This is Supergrass. A little bit of Supergrass on the Richie Allen Show. By the way, Laura Layton, the railway in. How are you? So did you have to tell customers that they couldn't sing the national anthem? I mean, how did that go down? Well, that's right. It doesn't go down well. Sing it to yourself. Sing it to yourself. <laughs> that's what I say. Hey. Sheena Fina fall. How do you how do you how do you sing that to yourself, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, twenty-one minutes past five. Thank you for your tweets. Good evening to Anna. How you doing, Anna? Hi to Angela Lambert. How you doing, Angela? Thanks, Angela, for your kind words this afternoon. Hi to John Pierce. Eighteen minutes in and I'm pissing myself already, Richie. I know I said to Jean Anne, I do chat with Jean Anne. Jean Anne is the is the moral is the moral conscience of the programme. Keeps an eye on it. <laughs> From Cleggan. I said, if I'd played you those clips of that landlord, say, two years ago, you would never have believed it wasn't a skit. You would say, no, that's a parody, that's a comedy sketch. That couldn't be true. But it is true. There are no men. Women are leading the way, and I'm not trying to curry favour with women. I'm not. Laura Layton in Moberly at the Railway Inn is leading the way. Let people do what they want, you know. Hi to you and Cooper. Hi to Jason, who says, Richie, feck me Enzo, grow some balls or the shepherds will be round you. We'll round you up with the sheep. That's right. I know. Hi to Gail. Hi to Charlie B. How you doing? Right, it's time we swiftly move on and... Uh, yeah, all right. No, I'll do I'll do that in a minute, I suppose. The Environment Secretary, George Eustace, told Sky News K. Burley this morning that the government will, in all likelihood, remove all COVID restrictions on the 19th of July. 
and that people will not be asked to continue wearing masks. This is what Eustace told Burley. What we want to do uh, on the 19th of uh, July, and the Prime Minister said that the data looks good to be able to have that end, is to remove all of the legal restrictions. Um, that's all of the legal requirements to do things uh, to, to be taken away completely. Now, um, whether there will still be some people who might choose to wear masks or whether it may be advisory in some settings, that's a separate matter. But the, the objective uh, of that final stage is to remove the legal requirement to do these things. OK, mm. so from the 19th of July, we won't have to wear our masks inside, as far as the government's concerned? Well, as far as we're concerned, there won't be a legal compulsion for you to. Would you? Um, I wouldn't, no. I, I have to be honest. I, uh, once I'm told that it's safe not to, uh, I want to get back to normal. I think a lot of people will, will want to um, shed those masks. Yeah, so Eustace said that he personally will dispense with his mask as soon as he's told it is safe to do so. And what, what I find interesting about this, this is where my old pal Hayden Hewitt comes in, is that they're saying the legal mandate will be removed but it may be necessary in some situations here or there. So, of course, Hayden Hewitt is right. The private sector will now pick up the baton and run with the restrictions. That's what Hayden has been saying to me, and I think he's right. I think that's exactly right. So while the government might say in July, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, we, we think it's safe now to re reduce or to suspend these restrictions, the private sector... Transport, for example, underground, rail, bus, might start insisting that you do wear these things. And the government will wash its hands of any responsibility. And you might go crying to the government or you might go crying to your local member of parliament. He or she will say, well, look, um, it's not legal, but we can't stop the companies telling you that they would prefer that you keep masking and distancing. And I would watch that one very closely, is what I would do, eh? Give us your opinions on that one. BBG Richie is the Twitter thing. Please give me your opinions. I need them. So the private sector. Anyway, to travelling and to the double jabbed. Now, this has been given great coverage today. Countries being added to the green zone or the green list and other countries being put on the amber list. Amber list countries are countries the government says you shouldn't travel to. Not that you're banned from travelling to them, but that you shouldn't travel to an amber country. If you do, when you return, you must take tests and you must isolate at home for something like 10 days. Green list countries... You go, you come back. Those countries will expect you to be double jabbed. And then there are red list countries, which apparently you can't travel to. So Boris Johnson was out and about today and he was asked about holidays for the double jabbed. Is there any chance that the double jabbed will be able to depart Blighty this summer? I think that the real opportunity we all have now is to open up travel through the the double, the double jab. And if you look at it, we've got uh, more than 60% of our population have now had two jabs. I think 83% of them have had one jab. Uh, we're really getting through it now. The crucial thing is come forward and, and get your, your second jab. Now, I'm not going to claim that this summer, uh, for travel purposes, is going to be like any other summer. Uh, it, as I said, I don't want to cast a pall over things, but as I said the other day, it, it, it will be different. 
Will you be taking a holiday? What would you say to others? My plans at this stage are at the unformed stage, I'm afraid. His plans, okay. he's afraid, are at the unformed stage, he's afraid. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, said Johnson to the reporter there. Yeah. What about you? Uh, tell me, I do want to know this. Are you going to try and get away? I, I'm guessing that the fact that you listen to me means that you haven't taken a jab and you would never take a jab. I'm pretty sure you and me are on the same page there. So if, like me, you'll never take a jab, have you given up on the idea of getting away? I mean, from, from my perspective, we wouldn't be able to get away this year anyway, in terms of get away foreign, because we've got a fairly young dog and it would be absolutely incredibly messy trying to take her overseas. I suppose not if we drove on the ferry, but I've given up any idea of, you know, for the next couple of years anyway. What about you? Let me know, BBG Richie. Tell me. And I've had another couple of emails from people who are lovely and they've said to me, don't mention me, Richie, but there are people who have had to have a job and for the third time in a week, they've done it for romance. Yeah. It's dreadful, isn't it? Let's just leave that one there. Junk food was in the news today as well. This might seem innocuous, but this isn't innocuous. It's an important story to think about because it plays into the Agenda 2030. It plays into the Great Reset. So the government here in the UK will impose a UK-wide pre-9pm ban on TV ads for foods that are high in sugar, salt and fat. So put simply, from 2023, the 1st of January 2023, there will be a watershed on advertisements for foods that are high in sugar, salt and fat. You won't see those ads on telly before 9 o'clock. So products affected will be things like chocolate, burgers, soft drinks, sweets, ice creams, biscuits, crisps and the rest of it, right? Pizzas, that sort of stuff. There will be new rules on online promotions, but firms selling junk food will still be able to run websites. Isn't that nice of the government to tell companies, companies that produces, which produce food? Is it that or which? Imagine I'm an English graduate. Imagine. I know, I know it's impossible to believe. Jean Ann will tell me now in a minute. Um, yeah, but companies that, it's that, it's actually that. Companies that produce junk food. The government has told them, oh, it's okay, you can still have a website if you like. This is tyranny now. Don't think for a second I've got any sympathy for massive corporations that produce shit food. Of course I don't. But the government telling them, oh, we will allow you to continue run a website. Really? Yeah. So from nine, uh, before nine o'clock, you won't see these ads. And apparently this is going to help with obesity. Apparently. Of course, that's monumental bollocks. Let's hear Becky Cotterill, Sky News reporter. She's following the story. Yeah, well, this is part of the government's uh, general obesity strategy, which was actually brought in last year after Boris Johnson was hospitalised with COVID-19. He put down how ill he was with the virus in part to his weight. But as you mentioned, these uh, measures on advertising will specifically focus uh, on food and drink products, which are seen as particularly problematic when it comes to childhood obesity foods high in fat, sugar and salt. Um, the watershed will apply on TV from 
9pm till 5.30am. And as for online, uh, the restrictions will be on paid-for ads. Uh, they won't apply to healthier foods, which might still be high uh, in fat, sugar and salt, things like honey, olive oil and avocados. Uh, now, it's thought uh, that these changes could lose TV broadcasters like Sky uh, around $200 million a year in revenue from advertising. And as for online, will food and drink ads, uh, there's about $400 million a year spent on those. So inevitably, these changes will have an impact. And the They'll have an impact on Sky, but Sky can afford it. The BBC doesn't take commercial advertisement, but Sky can afford it. And I guarantee you is that ITV can afford it. This is going to impact smaller content creators, smaller channels. Do you understand what's going on here? It's not just about food. It's not just about preventing little Johnny and little Mary becoming obese. There's always, these agendas are always multifaceted. That withdrawal of advertising revenue, like I said, Sky and ITV will get over it, but it will be devastating for more independent content creators and the owners of more independent channels on our televisions and radios. Oh yeah, that's what it will do. You've got to think about that, you see. Got to put your thinking cap on there. What else did she say? Have ...an impact and the Advertising Association, they aren't happy. They point to the loss in revenue, the potential loss in jobs. And they say, actually, these changes will have a minimal impact on obesity levels. But they are going to be brought in. Uh, they'll be in effect from the start of 2023. Um, one in three children in the UK are currently obese or overweight. And the government hopes that these changes will help to reduce the number of obese kids by around 20,000. Now, what does UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson think about this? After all, he's a little rotund himself, isn't he? We do have a, a, a national struggle uh, with uh, obesity and, and we, need to, we need to... Speak for yourself, you porker. To deal with it. The costs on the NHS are... Listen to that. The costs on the NHS. Think about this now. With it, the costs on the NHS are vast. Uh, we, we've just seen during the, the COVID pandemic, sadly, how uh, obesity can be one of the, the comorbidities in, uh, in serious illness. Let's get a grip on it. And I think that uh, sending out a signal uh, in, in the way we treat advertising is entirely right. Mm, like I said, the, 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 the shortfall in advertising will hurt independent channels. That's important. But what's really going on here, this thing about it has an enormous cost for the NHS, it presents an enormous cost for the NHS, obesity. We are going down the social credit model. We are. Obesity will eventually be classed as antisocial behaviour and will be punished. I kid you not. Why do you think they want every device in your home to be a smart device? interconnected through the internet of things it's to monitor what you're doing and you will you will find yourself having certain privileges withheld from you if you don't maintain a healthy healthy lifestyle now that's the sort of thing if certain people had said that over the years i would have accused them of fear mongering fear porn selling fear to their audiences but it's true this is where we're going. It is, it's, it's, it's a juggernaut now. The gloves are off. There's no, no longer any attempt to conceal these agendas. They're telling you. It's unacceptable to put pressure on the NHS because you're a fat bastard. 
You've got to do something about that. We'll motivate you to do something about that. That's what's coming down the line. 25 minutes to the top of the hour. Let me read out some tweets before we uh, continue. Hi to Aaron Phelan. Hello, Aaron. In uh, in uh, in good old uh, in good old you. Where, where are you, Aaron? In the US, remind me. I've got a good memory, but I can't remember uh, that today. Uh, McDonald's will also be okay, says John. Of course they will. It's not only the channels, but the big, big junk food providers. It won't uh, bother them too much at all. Sooty says, get the fat, lazy little twats off of computers then. It's got something to do with it, I reckon. Jamie says, Richie, McDonald's can still advertise their brand on telly. Just not anything on their menu with high fat, salt and sugar. Isn't that just about everything, says Jamie. I'm sure they'll find ways around it. No doubt about that. And by the way, it's not meant to, 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 to kick in for another 18 months. Plenty of things can happen in the meantime. Hi to Bill, uh, who says, Richie, one in three children in this country are not obese. That, this is a blatant lie. Bill, I don't know myself. I have no opinion on it. I don't know. I'm in Salford. Luckily for me, I am surrounded by young families. And I can tell you, the children are not obese. So... If that means anything to you, mate, you might be right. They're not obese. The children I see running around are active. They're outdoors. They're chasing footballs. They're playing with their young dogs. They're high on the joys of life. And they're in good shape. I have not seen a kid that I thought to myself, Jesus, that kid needs to to get out a bit and do a bit of running, so I don't know. On the travelling then this summer overseas, Susan tweets, Richie, I'm not bothered if I don't leave this country at all. Very lucky to live in uh, such a beautiful place. Family needs us here and we're hoping to have a new dog joining our family in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. You say that now, Susan? It'll be brilliant in the long run, but the first few months are going to be difficult. All the getting up in the middle of the night when the little one wants to go for a wee-wee. Oh, they can be terrorists at that age, yes. If they can. No, it's all good. Dogs are great. Of course they are. Hi to Kathleen, who says, Richie, a high, good fat diet is key for losing weight. Thanks, Kathleen. I have to say, when it comes to nutrition, I, I, I know the basics. And I know the things that my own body doesn't process well. And the things I shouldn't eat. Hi to Katrina who says, Richie, how clever they are in finding weird ways to say things, eh? In the unformed stage, in bloody deed, says Katrina. Yeah, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said, when asked about was he taking a holiday, our plans are in the unformed stage. What does that even mean? I agree with you. Don't know what's going on there. Rob says, Richie, they can shove their masks. I still see loads of people wearing them in shops. Those in fear will continue wearing them, I think. I think you're right, Rob. I think conditioning, no doubt some people will be, will feel, they will feel compelled to continue wearing them and maybe that's the point as well. Uh, Gaddafi says, Richie, being in the Netherlands, I can drive to a lot of places. I'm going to try my best to get down to Italy this summer Unjabbed, says Gaddafi, good man. Hi to Mwinga as well. And Moho Joe says, Richie, I live full time in a very nice motorhome. The UK, it's only UK from now on for me. However, there is an awakened travel group that seems to manage to travel without all the bollocks. That's Moho Joe. Thank you, uh, Joe. I appreciate your comments. And Mama Jane has been on. How are you doing, Mama Jane? Richie, I've resigned myself last year. No holidays and I've upgraded my tent instead. 
happy to sit tight for now, thank you. My friend is trying to travel to Ireland to see her family. She hasn't seen in a very long time now, but it isn't easy. Thanks, Mama Jane, for that. And there are tweets on, the, excuse me, there are emails on the, this subject as well. Let me read them and then I've really got to crack on because there's more to tell you before Gareth comes on. I sometimes think to myself, you've not got enough, Richie. Always too much editorial. You can never have too much editorial. I've got too much today. Hi to Kerry. That's Kerry Fitzgerald. How you doing, Kerry? Richie, I won't be getting the jab even though my youngest son is getting married next year in the UK and I'm in Ireland. I'll be sad not to be able to go, of course. Kerry, hang... Uh, hold back a bit, it might be okay. By then, maybe the worst you will need to do is take some lateral flow test, maybe. Maybe. And maybe you might take a lateral flow test if it means that you can be there for, well, your son's biggest day in his life. Don't give up on it yet, Kerry. But I absolutely understand why you would never have the, the, the jab. I will never have the jab either. I won't. And that's just the way it is. Lovely stuff. Rob O'Brien, Rob, thanks for the lovely comment, but I'm not going to get into the 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 the, the, the thing that I talked about at the top of the program. But thanks very much for your uh, email, mate. I really appreciate it. It's very kind of you. Hi to Chris. That's uh, Chris, uh, who says Richie COVID zero certificate of vaccination ID quickly morphs into climate zero. It's all bullshit. Yes, climate zero, COVID zero, climate change and climate lockdowns, definitely. And Christine came on to say, Richie, I feel very strongly that antidepressants should only be able to be described by a psychiatrist. I had been on them for years for what was no more than the grieving process. But thanks to people like you over this past year, I have taken myself off of them. And as the song goes, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. In my case, the rain was tears. Thank you for the work you do. Uh, I'm in God's own country. My hobby is from Carrigonshire, says Christine. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Yeah. Talk therapy. Um, natural healing. Those are the things I would opt for uh, before consenting to antipsychotic medication. I don't think I would ever take a prescription from a doctor, but that's not because I'm a tough guy. It's only because I've learned things from listening to the many men and women who've come on this programme. I know nothing, you see. I'm just somebody who has been lucky enough to hear from people with uh, different points of view, learned men and women. That's what it's all about. It's uh, 19 minutes to 6 o'clock. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. This is Republica. Gareth Hike in about 20 minutes. Republic Air ready to go on the Richie Allen Show. 16 minutes to the top of the hour. Hi to Kim. How you doing, Kim? You mentioned the B word, Kim. You mentioned the B word on Twitter there, and it's so early. Kim Hayes says, Richie, I've noticed I've started drinking a lot more Bacardi since I've been listening to you. Please check your own advertising standards, says Kim, indeed. Kim, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for Bacardi, well, I'd be, I, I'd be king of the gypsies, personally. The junkies bastard, yeah. The junkies, junkies bastard, yeah. And just in case there's any real gypsies listening, I'm only joking. I don't want to be offered out, all right? Bit scared of the gypsies, me. But anyway, we'll leave that one there. Um, yeah, Bacardi. Yes, Bacardi. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it at all. Jesus. I could spend hours talking about it, but I won't. Let's, let's uh, do something else. 
yeah, Baroness Claire Fox, or Claire Fox, is very concerned about the terminology climate emergency. Because emergency tends to lead to the government giving itself extraordinary powers. Powers to restrict people's lives, a la covid Right? So she was on Mike Graham's talk radio show to explain this. She's concerned now that what happened with coronavirus, which is a nothing respiratory infection, but has seen the government take control of whether people can hug one another, whether they can see their senior relatives, how many people they can have at their weddings and all of that. She's worried that the climate emergency... Well, that no good will come of using terms like that. Here's Claire Fox. Think about what we've just been through in relation to COVID and the lockdown scenario. So there we were told that um, there was an emergency and therefore the government could suspend civil liberties, take away our freedoms and tell us how to behave. That's why it makes me very nervous when they want to make into law that we are facing a climate uh, emergency or a biodiversity emergency. Because once you start declaring things as emergencies, then the government get given the right to take decisions on our behalf because they know what's best. So it's the mainstreaming that makes me nervous. And, you know, we started off talking about Brexit. Why did people vote Brexit? They voted so that they could take back control from unelected bureaucrats in Brussels. The problem with, for example, the Environment Bill or any of the climate changes is that they want to have unelected environmental NGOs dictating how people should live in this country. And that seems to me to be the biggest challenge for Leavers, which is we did leave the European Union. Great, good start on the democratic road. But my goodness, the environmental issues present us with a whole new set of challenges and a whole new lot of bureaucrats we have to get around. No doubt about that. A whole new set of bureaucrats, either the scientists and the scientific advisors advising the government over COVID. And she's very concerned that the climate emergency will see powers being ceded, not being ceded, but being taken, excuse me, by governments to tell us how to live our lives if it means that they can offset the so-called climate emergency. Now, I did play this clip last night, but I've got to play it again. Uh, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, spoke with Mark Morano. He's a clim- he, he, He's from a, a group called Climate Depot. He's an author. He's written about this climate change hoax. And uh, he talked about climate lockdowns to Tucker Carlson. We're learning that a World Health Organization staffer has written a report saying that a climate lockdown could be called for. It's like a COVID lockdown, a climate lockdown. Mark Morano is an author who has written a lot about climate change. He founded Climate Depot. He joins us tonight. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. A climate lockdown. Now, I would laugh this off the table, except we all just lived through the last 18 months. So we know that anything is possible. What does this mean exactly? Well, you know, in my book, Green Fraud, I detail two chapters on this, Tucker. This is the climate activists were, first of all, jealous when the COVID lockdowns happened. They were beside themselves saying, how is this happening? Everyone from Greta Thunberg to John Kerry, UN officials. And then they started saying, 
we need to follow this. If we can shut down for a virus, we can shut down for climate. And that's what we're seeing. There's even academics in Australia proposing adding climate change to death certificates. And Bill Gates has said the death toll will be greater. So they're following every step of the way. And it's not just, you know, a, a professor here or someone in academia. We have a major UK report coming out. We have an international agency report that came out uh, calling for essentially the same type of lockdowns. Everything from restrictions on your thermostat to restrictions of moving. Uh, you know, you can only fly in a climate emergency when it's, quote, morally justifiable. You know, kind of like a lockdown, you have to justify going to the store for essential services. They're going after freedom of movement. They're going after private car ownership. They're going after uh, everything it means to be a free person and turning it over to the administrative state. Yeah, he's going to be on with me next week. Climate change being listed as cause of death on death certificates. That's not a joke, by the way. That's true. Let's leave that one there. Microchips, then. There is an agenda to chip us all. We know this. It's out in the open. You'll find evidence of this microchip agenda in the strangest of places. As Sky News' Kay Burley found this morning. Um, meantime, let me tell you about this story. I don't really understand it but we've got somebody who can explain it to us in a bit more detail. Um, we're talking about chipped nails. Now, not chipped nails like this, but nails with chips in. I know. A salon in Dubai is now fitting false nails which contain a microchip that can be used to pass on your contact information and personal details. Joining us to tell us more about it is Noah Makaram, founder and chief exec of Lenore Beauty Lounge in Dubai. Hello to you. Yeah, she's fitting false nails with microchips which contain your details at a salon in Dubai. And they're on sale and people are, well, they're using them. This is fairly surreal stuff again. Hi, how are you? I how am you doing. Great, you look fantastic this morning. Tell me about the plan. What is it? How does it work? Okay. So actually, after the pandemic started, uh, I was thinking, how can I support with our beauty services? So, and how can uh, I support the social distancing uh, to reduce the paper wasting uh, in our beauty services? Then I found out uh, this chip is really helpful. Uh, now, for now, at least, uh, we can use this chip instead of your business card. So you can download all the information that you want, like your name, your mobile number, your website, uh, your social media accounts as well. So, uh, yeah. What about if, what, what if you break your nail? Do you lose the chip? Sorry, come again. If you break the if you break your nail, do you lose the chip? How does it work? Because I break yes, my nails all the yes, time. Yes, yes. And this chip is is like uh, not permanent. Uh, it lasts on your nail um, as long as you have the nail polish good on your nail. So uh, yeah, if you break your uh, nail, you will uh, lose this chip. That's right. So that's why every three weeks you have to replace this one. Okay, because, I mean, that would then mean that your information if you could just be on the sidewalk, couldn't it? Because how would you stop people stealing your information? Yeah, that's why Kay is the queen of morning news. None of that Lorraine bollocks or Susanna Reid nonsense. Hard-hitting questions from the Ginger Ninja. Fearless. Yeah. Oh, okay. It it doesn't like fall down. Uh, we have uh, like 
exactly how you remove your gel color on your nails. You scratch it, uh, so it damaged before it fall down. You get what I mean? So nobody can read it after it's damaged already. Ah, okay, I get it, I get it. But why would you want to do it in the first place? Why would you not just carry a purse with you with your information in it? Well, she gave the answer earlier on. She said that it's going to help with social distancing and with the customer's own information. So if it's on the nail, in the nail on a microchip, when they come into the shop, it's going to basically show up on the computers being monitored by the staff in the salon. That's one of the reasons she gave, but the woman in Dubai hasn't done a great job of selling her own product. It's mad stuff this, isn't it? You can see this, can't you, coming very, very quickly, not not further down the line, but this is happening now. Uh, because, you know, for example, like me, I always forget my business card, so I can, no, I will not forget it, you know, it's under your nail polish, so that's cool. Okay, and how much does it cost to have it done? Is it like a regular, regular shellac treatment? It doesn't matter. She says, I don't know, 250 shekels or, 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 or dinars, or I don't know what she said, anyway. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? And I got a, an email from a gentleman last week. He said he'll come on the programme in the very near future, so long as I can help him with anonymity. But he's genuine. He works for a company in the United States that is fitting t temperature readers to city buses that will read your temperature as you step on to the bus. Yeah. And if the temperature is too high, the bus driver will ask you to piss off, go home and isolate. Yeah. That that won't surprise you. We we could have guessed, couldn't we, that they would introduce such things. But that's this is where it's all going. It's going. It's re, it's real Blade Runner stuff, isn't it? It's real Judge Dread 2000 AD stuff. What sort of world will it be in 15 years time? Yeah. Imagine you go to get on a bus you got to be somewhere and you get on the bus, you go through the doors and you're screened. And the driver says, sorry, pal, you're going to have to, you know, leave and go home. And maybe the bus will then alert some local authority that you've been instructed to go home. Imagine that. Imagine that. And if you don't, well, you'll be arrested. Well, how would they know? Well, because they'll be phoning you at home to make sure that you're at home on your smartphone, when you're sitting in your smart living room, next to your smart kitchen. Again, some years ago, I would have said, Jesus, Richie, bit of fear porn there. Don't be saying this stuff to your listeners, but this is where we are. Hey, apparently two million people. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, we talked about this very briefly yesterday. I don't know what to tell you, but apparently two million people in this country and when you think there's 67 million people in the UK, two million of them have had long COVID, apparently. Man Hancock's long COVID. Long COVID, yeah. You have COVID and the bugger just, just won't go away. You have it for months and months. 
apparently. Let's uh, pick up the story with Sky News, I think. Will we do Sky News? We will. Long COVID then. New research suggests that more than 2 million people in England may have had long COVID. The REACT2 study from Imperial College London found more than a third of those who had coronavirus reported symptoms lasting at least 12 weeks, which is double the previous estimate for long COVID. Well, the study found those experiencing persistent symptoms tended to fall into two groups. The first reported tiredness and muscle aches as the most common symptoms. The second reported shortness of breath, tightness in the chest and chest pain. Well, researchers found the prevalence of long COVID increased with age and was higher among women. It was less common in people of Asian ethnicity. Let's bring in our correspondent, Dan Whitehead, who's in Western Supermare. Dan, you've been speaking to a lot of uh, people who have suffered from various symptoms from long COVID. What have they been telling you? Mm, he's in Western Supermare. The, 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 the long COVID stuff, it's very general, isn't it? Shortness of breath, bit of tiredness. It's got to be very general, of course, in order for them to be able to sell this crap. This uh, on-location reporter is with a woman who's had long COVID for, well, for... A long time. Well, some of those symptoms you mentioned will come as no surprise. The brain fog, the fatigue. Um, more than a year on uh, since they contracted long uh, COVID-19, they are still suffering. It was a major study, this, from Imperial. More than half a million people in total uh, they spoke to. And all of this information is feeding into the government's plan of how they're going to deal with long covid uh, in the long term, because this is something that's going to be with us uh, for a very long time. Uh, we're in a gym, and I'll explain why, because uh, we are joined by Debbie Saunders, who runs the Western Gymnastics Centre. And Debbie, uh, you yourself had uh, COVID-19 back in March last year, right at the start of the pandemic, uh, and you are still suffering. You've gone through the long COVID clinics. Just start off by telling us your experience of having long COVID. Long COVID. First I knew was a slight cough and a lack of taste and a lack of smell, which we didn't really put down to much. Then we realised possibly a week later I had COVID. Maybe a couple of days later I was in bed and didn't get back out for at least six weeks apart from to head off to hospital for checks in ambulances. Six weeks in bed, apart from the occasional trip in an ambulance to the hospital. You did end up, as you say, going to, to hospital. Let's zoom on, you know, 12 months. Are you still feeling the impacts? What, what are the long COVID effects for you? Incredibly difficult. Um, I would say I'm possibly back to about 50% of my working life and very small social life. Uh, fatigue is huge and it's not tiredness. Fatigue is very different. It's all encompassing. The brain fog, as we talked about, I will forget things. I forget what I've done. I'll forget I've taken drugs. She'll forget she's taken drugs. Um, every Everything has to be written down that I want to do, that I want to remember. And the breathlessness. I can't walk up a hill. I can't walk upstairs easily. Everything is graded. My whole day is worked out in advance what I will do. You mentioned that, uh, that how you have to adjust your whole day. I know you've very kindly come down here to, to your gym to speak to us, but you, this was your rest day, really. And, and, and just simply going up a flight of stairs knocks, knocks it out of you. Yes, I would plan... Everything would be left at the bottom of stairs for me to take up once. I wouldn't go up and downstairs two or three times. Now, if you have long COVID or you think you have, take a leaf out of Debbie's book. Don't um, subject yourself to two or three 
trips up and down the stairs. Leave everything you need to bring upstairs at the end of the stairs and it'll mean you'll only need to take one trip. This is long COVID now, or hypochondria. Uh, Some doctors are not having it though, and that's good news. Some doctors will not put up with it. Uh, Doreen was speaking to the BBC. She thought that she had long COVID. She went to her doctor, but the doctor wasn't having it. He gave it to her straight. I first noticed there was like a problem when I was about 20. And I went to the doctors. And I think he spotted it straight away. And of course then they sent me to the specialist and he did loads of tests and he says and I shall never forget his words he says it's confirmed in Malaysia care. What did he say to Doreen? The, the, the regional, the Birmingham accent is very difficult, I know you could choke on the irony, right? Me saying that. What did he say to you? You thought you had long COVID, he said what? I'm a lazy cow. A lazy cow? I'm a lazy cow. A lazy cow. More from Doreen. Well, of course, that come now shock to me. Because my mother had it. Mother? And there's a good chance I should pass it on to my kids. Yeah. Because it's genetic. Lazy cow is genetic. Um. I mean, my, um, my movements are severely restricted. Even today, after all the therapy, I have trouble shifting my arse. She has trouble doing what? I have trouble shifting my arse. She has trouble shifting her arse. I must have long COVID then, because I've got trouble shifting my arse most of the time as well. The Richie Allen Radio Show is Europe's most listened to independent radio show. I'm the BBG. This is music from Bez, Sean Ryder and company. The Happy Mondays, Kinky Afro, Gareth Ike in about five minutes time. Happy Mondays, Kinky Afro on the Richie Allen Radio Show. Six minutes past six. This Thursday, the 24th of June, 2021. Just before we uh, welcome Gareth back to the programme, let me just read out just a couple of very quick messages. On the travelling overseas, Julie says, Richie, I will never take the jab. It's bad enough going to Warwick for a couple of days. They wouldn't serve food or drinks until I installed the NHS app, which I promptly took off once I was served. Card payments only in some places. So until restrictions and all this crap stops, I will stay at home. That's Julie. Thanks, Julie. BBG Richie. Um, as usual, hundreds of tweets. Thanks for them. I can't read them all out. To see what people are tweeting me, just go to uh, search Twitter, put BBG Richie in all one word, and you'll see what I'm being tweeted. Um, my guest this hour is a great friend of mine and somebody I have great admiration for. He's a good-looking bollocks, which annoys me greatly, because he's a brilliant guitar player and a great singer-songwriter as well. He's a former international footballer. Yes, he played beach soccer for England. Yes, I know, I know. And uh, not only that, but he presents a terrific programme every Friday on the Iconic platform. It's called Right Now, and I strongly recommend you subscribe to Iconic and check it out. Welcome back to the programme, my pal Gareth Ike. Welcome back, guys. Hello, mate. How are you? 
I'm all right. I'm in the presence of greatness and gorgeousness. Oh, You're so gorgeous. You should be arrested, guys. You're looking I've well. Those dulcet tones. I know. Yeah, you're looking well. I'll talk about you being on a break in a few minutes, and we'll talk about everything else that's going on. But you know what, guys? I thought just for a couple of minutes. I think I think what our listeners need is just non-COVID, just for a couple of minutes. Are you watching the football? Have you seen any of it? The European Championships, and how do you feel about it? I suppose you're going to have to mention COVID talking about the Euros. But have you seen much of it? I can't be bothered with football anymore, Richie. It's it died for me with COVID, really. Um, and then it's just become, you know, just a massive political woke yeah. thing. Um, so I'm kind of done with it. I've, I've resigned myself to non-league football from now on. So <laughs> um, I, I think even Derby County, like even that level is, is going to be ridiculous. Going back to football matches and all that nonsense, I can't be doing with it. So I'm just going to support. Uh, but basically where I live, in the village I live, there's a football club at the bottom of the garden and that's my new local team now. So Tell me, be, what, be it. what if Derby told you, I'm a Salford City season ticket holder. Um, when we moved to Salford, we're not too far from the hospitals from Media City. The first thing I'd done was had a look at Salford. And I was lucky because when we arrived, they just got promoted to League Two. So for £125, I couldn't believe it. I got a season ticket just behind the dugout, me and me mate Tez. And I loved it. But finding out what's going to happen, I can't get any info. What is, is, is Derby telling you anything, guys, you and the other fans? Not really, mate, to be honest. I, I gave up my season ticket at Derby up. when, when um, Elora was born because it was like, I didn't want to be that dad that sort of just went, see you later, love. Yeah, but you <laughs> could take Saturday her. Morning you could take to her. Go to the, yeah. So, but, but that was the plan. That when when she's a little bit older, then I would take her to the football. You know, if she wanted to go. But um, I, I think, to be honest, championship level, I imagine it will be you know negative test or or vaccine certificate nonsense. Yeah. Which obviously I'm not playing that silly game with either of them. So um, they haven't really said a lot. But they, you know, I think we know how predictable the whole thing is. I mean, the whole vaccine passport thing has been on the table for years and years and it's just kind of it just needed a little trojan horse to get it into the building which is obviously what what covid is basically um so i'm resigned to it really and, I, and i'm fine with that richie to be honest like i i drove back i, I drove for eight and a half hours yesterday Ugh. but i um when i was driving i had the football on because just had the radio on and i kind of just wasn't really invested in it not really that bothered yeah. Um, when England were playing, me and Gemma were down in Cornwall with Little and, and we put on cruising with Jane McDonald. Good man. Over watching, <laughs> <laughs> over watching the England game. That's that. This is oh, me now, Richie. This that's is you, is it? Um, Family man. Yeah, I love I that cruising with Jane well, that's McDonald. It, you know, and I, yeah, exactly. I just can't be bothered with all the all the woke nonsense and, and all the virtue signalling and all that stuff. And it's it's not the same game it was when when we were young, for sure. No, it isn't. It's hard to take. Um, those things, I, I'm, I'm with you. We can come back to vaccine passports. There, there are plans being discussed to enable pubs and restaurants to stay open in the winter when we get hit with the mythical flu uh, pandemic. We can get into that. Obviously, you being a dad with, with uh, you know, a, a lovely, and she's a lovely lady, uh, Gemma, and uh, Elora, of course. What strikes me, thinking about speaking to you today, how much of a, con- not so much of a concern, but how hard are you working to ensure that Elora is not in any way 
um, I don't want to say messed up, but negatively impacted by what's going on. I ask that question because obviously in recent days there have been reports that young children are struggling, they're, they're, they're avoiding play dates, they're feeling really low because of all of this stuff. Now because you are, aw- I don't want to say awake, because you are alive to what's going on and you have been for most of your life, what do you take steps to make sure that she's not kind of exposed to this stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I try and keep everything as normal as possible. I mean, we've I'm going the whole hog, Richie. We've got another little and due in seven weeks, so I'm you know I'm I'm going to go for a lockdown baby. But yeah. um, I mean, it was it was weird because after the I, I I try and make a point of of like Laura can be a kid for as long as is humanly possible. Um, because I look around, like even where I am in my village, and kids aren't kids anymore. Um, uh, you know, I feel like that sort of 1950s dad when I look at a girl walk past and I think, geez, what's she wearing? She's got full face of makeup. My God, you know, yeah. she looks about 10. But um, so I'm quite conscious of doing that with, with Laura. And and so we, we made sure that nothing affected her. I mean, we're lucky we've got a garden. So in the first lockdown, you know, we were just out. I dread to think how much money I spent at Argos buying inflatable stuff <laughs> um, for the garden um, to try and make it fun. And then, um, but then when I did the speech in London at Trafalgar Square, she was then not welcome back at nursery because of that. And that kind of, that upset me because that got real then. It was like, hang on, you know, she's 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 two years old at the time and, and she's not welcome at nursery because of something I said in a speech in London. So wow. that was weird. Um, and then And then when things kind of, eased a bit because i would take her to the park anyway because my life my rules and um but then there'd rarely be people there and so when people started coming out of their sort of fear bubbles and coming back to the parks and stuff she didn't really know how to interact with other kids um and that sort of broke my heart a little bit and now she's kind of gone the other way so if i take her to the park if she sees a kid it doesn't matter they can be about 12 she legs it over and she's just with them, and then she'll come back. I found a friend, and it's like Thank the heaven, kids thanks. looking at me like uh, I don't know who you are, but um, just desperate to be around other kids and stuff, which is sad because, you know, that's that's as a result of all this nonsense. Yeah, it is. Well, thank heavens it's gone the other way. I was going to congratulate you both on, well, not not you both, but the three of you on, on your imminent arrival. I did when you mentioned it on social media um, earlier this year. That'll be terrific, Med. It'll be more, I suppose, late nights and early mornings, but, but fantastic. It's a lovely insight, that, you know, because I hear from people who have young children and, and they, they're facing the same uh, things, you know, how do we keep life as normal as we possibly can uh, for the youngsters. You had the break then, I- I'm sure, apart from the eight-hour drive yesterday, I'm sure it did you the power of good. What were your observations of people, Gaz, in terms of you going to do things, shops, you know, having a, a cup of coffee, you know, the, the the NHS app and all of that? What was it like? No, no one's playing ball where I was. I was right. down in Cornwall, literally no one was playing ball at all. Um, no track and trace. I never wrote my name or number. I mean, I, I write a fake number anyway, obviously, but I never yeah. I, I wrote anything anywhere and um, not worn a mask. Well, I've not worn a mask since the beginning, but I wasn't asked anything. Honestly, I think people have had enough. And I think what you find as well, Richie, especially like, because we were in a tiny little village, you know, like one pub, one shop, and, and then just a handful of houses. And because if, if I live in the centre of Derby, like I used to, Derby's what, you know, 180,000 people maybe, I might not see COVID stuff happen, but it could be happening in Normanton area of Darby. It could be happening, you know, in, in on Duffield Road area. I don't know. I, I don't hang out there sort of thing. Whereas when you live in a village, 
everyone knows everyone and so you know you you might have that initial kind of fear which we had in my village here you know where where me and Gemma going out were, were really the only people stepping out the door everyone else was bricking it but it didn't take long for all of a sudden everyone to go well hang on like I thought there was supposed to be bodies in the street. Yeah. Like this doesn't make any sense. I've seen bodies in the street in China. Now I've seen bodies in the street in India. We're not seeing it anywhere else. That's weird. And so people are slowly starting to wake up. And and it's the same in Cornwall because obviously you know everyone knows everyone. So they're looking around and it's like you know even June at the end of the road who's got one leg. Even she's alive. So you know it's it, I think it's it's harder to try and sell this massive giant Spanish flu death thing to people in small villages who kind of are looking around saying well it's fine like, i'm not seeing anything and that's that's what gets me the most rich is like i try and have conversations with people i try not to push too much stuff i'm kind of like you do you hun you know whatever if you yeah. want to believe what you want to believe that's fine but i do say to people like why do you trust what your tv tells you bear in mind that these people have a vested interest you know they have a horse in the race why do you trust what they say over what you see with your own eyes and have done for 15, 16 months. That that's something I can't compute. You know, like I could, my TV could tell me the sky was bright green, and all I need to do is look out the window okay. and go, no, it's not. But but these do, people do you get an answer, guys? Go, yeah. Do you get an answer it's, to that? Because it's a fair question. It's a well, it's a well put question. Surely you get some sort of answer, do you? Yeah, you generally get. Well, yeah, fair point. To be fair, and then they carry on doing what they were doing anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's one of them, isn't it? And I'm kind of at that point, really, with it all. You know, if people want to get... I know people are saying, like, oh, so-and-so's jabbed, right? I'm not having anything to do with them. I'm kind of like, nah, you do you. Like, if you want to get it, you go and get it. That's fine. Um, I'm not going to. And so that's that's my main aim, really. You know, six and a half billion people can go and get it. I couldn't care less. But as long as I don't have to, and as long as anyone that doesn't want it doesn't have to have it, then... I'll see that as a victory, really. The, the the evidence is mounting that the jabs are causing real harm, right? We're seeing that every day. Oh, absolutely. And it's the third wave, Richie. Um, and they're just preparing for it. I think, you know, the first wave was was midazolam in the care homes um, for, for absolute certain. The fact that, you know, we, the country can use a two-year supply in less than a year. Where's that gone? Um, and that's where all the deaths were in the care homes. And then... Um, and then obviously your second wave, I think, was mass testing. You know, you're testing everyone. So then all of a sudden anyone who's... Anyone you know, who dies of anything. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. And people say 28 days. If you actually look at the data on, you know, with Public Health England, a lot of it, it was within 60 days. So, you know, if you're testing 85-year-olds, you know, mass testing care homes and stuff, and you've got then... I mean, what's the average life expectancy in a care home? I think it's about six months. So you know, some are in there for years, some are in there for a week. And, but I think the average is about six months. So if you're testing people um, that are in care homes, plus you're testing people every time they go into hospital, and the theory would be if you go into hospital, you go in there for a reason, um, you've then got two months for them to die of whatever. Um, you, you know, you, you're going to sweep up a few numbers by doing that. Um, and then the third one, I think I think the third wave will be, will be the jabs. I think, you know, even the government say themselves on their own website that, you know, they expect 70% of the deaths from this mysterious third wave to be people that are fully vaccinated. And you think, well, what's the point then? You know, if, you, if you're trying to sell it to me, you're not selling, you're not selling it to me. You're not making me want it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've got to jump in there just in case somebody is expecting me to challenge you and jump all over you on that statistic. Um, you're quite right. I've shared that, that information through social media. When I've seen it, I've looked at it as well. Yeah, it's in their own documentation. They do expect a significant amount of people who have been double jabbed um, to die effectively. Uh, and, and particularly if they encounter um, a respiratory pathogen. This is true. Uh, and again, I know I've, I've said this to people I've met around where I live, and I get glassy eyes. I, I'm pretty decent, having been a radio presenter and producer for many, many, many years, at saying something to somebody in very plain language, guys. And yet it's just glassy eyes. I say, look, they're expecting people who have been double jabbed, who then encounter a pathogen, I don't say a pathogen, obviously, a virus, um, to drop. And it's open mouths and, yeah. All right, Richie, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> well, yeah, th- no, that's it. And that's the most frustrating thing because they always tell us. They always tell us. And I kind of, you know, it almost feels like it's a little bit of a kind of a cult sort of, you know, the vampire needs to come across the threshold, yeah. you know, but I have to invite them in, you know, otherwise they can't come in. But once I invite them in, you know, they can tear my face off. And it almost feels a bit like that, that our compliance and our silence is, is, is us saying, okay, yeah, we, we, you know, we consent um, because they tell us that, you know, they tell us what they're doing from the beginning. They've told us what, what they were doing. And, and I think they think that people are either too stupid or too lazy to kind of actually look at anything, but you know, you can you can look at the death figures. You can look at the 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 freedom of information requests for for burials and cremations, and they're lower than they were in 2018. Um, that doesn't make any sense. No, know. no. And by the way, um, death numbers to to June 2021 from from January to June, they're lower over a five year period on average. So there's 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 very little going on at the moment. But I hear you loud and clear I think in 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 the coming autumn winter I think I hate to say this because no, no more than you do no more than you do we don't do the fear porn either but I do see um, deaths increasing in the winter I do believe yeah. that the vaccines will contribute I, I yeah well I think that will be a, a big big factor but then also the fact that you you've basically got a bunch of people to self-isolate for you know 16 months, stay in their homes, sanitize every time they, you know, go near someone else or whatever, wear a mask. Um, and so, you know, people's immune systems, immune systems are like a muscle, you know, yeah. it's, it's the, it feels like at the minute it's the equivalent of, of being an arm wrestler. And it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm just going to keep my arm by my side for 16 months. I'm not going to move it. And then all of a sudden putting me up against the, the, another arm wrestling champion in the world championship, he's probably going to break my arm. Yeah. Because it's not done anything. And, and you know, that's what's going to happen. You know, if I imagine flu season, all these things will just wipe people out because, you know, you, you, you're supposed to come into contact with bacteria and, and, and stuff. And then, you know, your body kind of keeps on, on top form. So I think that'll be a problem. And I'll tell you what I see, Richie, as well, even with, you know, these vaccinated people that will drop is, you know, they you can see that they're, they're, they're trying to kind of stage manage the narrative in the sense that it's definitely the unvaccinated people's fault and we're just a petri dish god the amount of times i hear that we're just a petri dish for variants um and so they'll blame us and then what they'll do as well is i think you know if this third wave of vaccine deaths is as huge as people think it will be then you are going to suddenly see people you are going to be like actually god you have a fellow across the road and oh geez yeah you know june who goes in the local shop and you're going to start to notice people 
and then that'll get turned around. So you you said this wasn't deadly, and and you didn't follow the rules, and and you know, and and it will get turned on us. Um, of course it will, and I'm I'm you know I'm prepared for that. That's fine, but I I, I feel very much that that's the stage management on on their part. What about? Yeah, I think I think that's likely. I think it's possible. Neither you nor I have look it doesn't matter that we don't have medical degrees or that we never went to medical school we are capable of processing data and information maybe more capable than most because we've been doing it for for years but I've got to reiterate that we don't have any training in in virology or epidemiology that being said though even though I don't have any of that training I'm beginning to be a bit concerned about things I'm hearing around shedding. So if that gentleman across the street that you mentioned, who's had the double vaccine and he becomes ill in the winter or even before then, is this shedding thing a a real thing? Are those of us who are clever enough, intelligent enough to know better than to have one of these unlicensed experimental treatments, are we in danger from those who have? I don't know, do you? well there's a lot of reports of it yeah. like you know you get a handful of reports and you think oh it could be a coincidence you know but, but there's been so many now of, of particularly women whose you know um menstrual cycles have changed and they, they've had bleeding and stuff from spent after spending a lot of time around people that have had particularly the the, the mrna vaccines you know so I, i'm i'm quite conscious of it in the sense, which is quite hard, because I'm a bit of a hugger. You're quite a hugger, aren't you, Richie, as well? I don't mind a so, hug, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I had to yeah, get used so, to it being around uh, you, yeah. And and, yeah. and your dad and everybody else. But no, I am. These days I am, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm kind of, you know, I'm quite conscious of that. If I'm around people that I know have had it, it's kind of, am I a little bit more standoffish? Probably. You know, subconsciously, I probably am. And I'm quite conscious with Little and as well, you know. But, but we're quite lucky in that sense that we're not really surrounded by people that have. You yeah, know, yeah. so uh, um, so it's not a, a, a concern particularly for me, but but it, there's certainly a lot of reports of it, and and I don't think it should be ignored. No, by the That's way, guys, sure. by the way, the Sunday Times ran a piece on Sunday morning that said four thousand women have reported that they they've had menstrual problems. Now, the those were women seemingly who had the vaccine, but I'm not I'm not sure about that. I'd like to see the data that the Sunday Times saw because maybe some of those women were not in fact vaccinated. I just don't know. Here's a question. It's one of those stupid questions where I know the answer, but I'll ask you anyway. They say that 60% of adults in this country have been double jabbed. I don't know whether to believe them or not. Um, well, I don't believe them based on a couple of things, mainly the fact that their lips move, therefore they lie. <laughs> um, but the yeah. other the other one as well is, you know, there were lots of reports and stuff here um, in because we've got a vaccine centre not far from me. And then there's a one in, in the city near where we work. And, you know, there's loads of reports of, oh, God, you, know, you need to get in there, get in there early doors. You know, there's going to be shortages, obviously, which just creates a demand. That's the whole point of it. Um, but then when you talk to people, like my neighbour said to me, like he, he's had, you know, both. And he said to me, he said, oh, just get yourself there. Because obviously he, he, I guess, doesn't know my views. But, um, you know, get yourself there, you know, whenever you like. You honestly you don't even need to book or queue. It's literally empty all the time. And I was like, right, well, that that that's not tying in with the what the no, local media no. is saying that we need to get there ASAP. So, um, you know, and, and uh, a great case of that was the whole Twickenham thing. Do you remember that when you oh, had all yeah, these young yeah. lemmings that, you know, apparently... So there's all the media, you know, the mile, it's a mile long, the queue. And you're thinking, Jesus, but 
then when you saw lots of people commenting that had been there and got vaccinated, so they're not anti-vaxxers, you know, and they're certainly not on our side on this because they've just gone and got it, saying, that's absolute rubbish. I literally walked in. There was hardly anyone there. I got it and I left. It was a piece of cake. And you're like, right, well, what's wrong with this picture then? Because there's those two don't, they're not compatible. No, they don't, know. Well, I can, I can say... The vaccination centre, we shouldn't call them vaccines, the, the jabbing centre in Salford is on Liverpool Street. I run there every day of the week. I'm a seven day a week runner. I never take a day off. And it's rammed, Cass. It's rammed. It's, I, I don't know where, yeah, I don't know where they're coming from. And uh, Caroline, my other half, my better half, who says hello to you, by the way, and Gemma and Alora, she she's getting texts, like on speed getting texts about the vaccine bus. Langworthy Road's a very famous road in Salford. Uh, there's a church halfway up it and they've, they've got this vaccine bus. And from what I understand, they're 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 piling in there on a daily basis as well. So that's not in any way suggesting that you're wrong. It isn't. It's just saying that, you know, maybe it does vary from place to place. But, oh, yeah, um, maybe it does. Yeah. yeah, maybe it does. And, you know, good luck to them. Really good luck to them. I mean, they they didn't hassle me too much. Like I had, I had a text which I could actually click through from to book my appointment. So I clicked through, told them, you know, politely that to jog on. And then I got a further two texts that I couldn't reply to. And then I got a letter. And this was all in the space of about 10 days. And then I started getting the ump. I was like, no, this is harassment now. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm in a bar and, and someone offers to buy a woman a drink and then they say no thanks and then another drink arrives and another drink arrives and then another drink. No, I said no. Um, so I was starting to feel a little bit like that. And um waiting for the phone call thinking right here we go this is going to be fun and um and they, they haven't phoned me and i haven't had another letter and i haven't had another text so maybe they've you know, you've had your finger you've had your finger over the record button in in, in studio for weeks waiting for the call I, I, they don't have my number which is which i'm kind of annoyed by now i wish they did have my number because i would be on standby to have a conversation not to insult anybody for any shits and giggles or anything like that but just have a conversation with them and see what they might say let me just remind our listeners Gareth Ike is on the line. Uh, great to have Gaz back on. You can follow him on Twitter, you probably know. It's at Gareth Ike. He presents right now. You can watch that on Friday. 7.30, Gaz? It is 7.30. 7, 7 p.m. 7 p.m., excuse yeah. me. 7 p.m. on Iconic. And this week, uh, the guests are always excellent on uh, the programme, but this week, Gaz, amongst the guests, is speaking to Gemma Cooper, who's a very accomplished broadcaster, presenter at the BBC Radio and Television and Weather. And that'll be something not to uh, miss. Uh, great work with um, the Midazolam story made uh, as well, and, and Jackie Diva. It's important to get that stuff really, out there. Really important, mate. It really is, yeah. Huge. I mean, my, my phone went mad. I actually ended up getting the ump because I was like, who's giving my number out? But I was getting just phone calls and phone calls from, from people, um, lovely people. But obviously, you know, it was like, oh, my God, you know, my, every, my whole phone, my phone's gone yeah. out to everyone. But um, but the amount of emails and stuff as well from people that were just absolutely underlining um, the accuracy of those stories of Medazalan. And it, it, it is extraordinary. Like to, So for tomorrow's show, obviously, like you say, we're talking to Gemma, but we've got two whistleblowers as well. One's... Um, a care nurse that quit um, because of basically genocide. That's that's how she described it. And um, and another one who who quit for the same reason, but has actually been trying to blow the whistle for probably she said about four years on this excessive use of, of this you know Liverpool care pathway that never went away. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's extraordinary, you know, and it's 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 hard to kind of not get angry. 
Um, and so you don't have to try and stay calm, but I'm just thinking, oh, I want to flip the desk, listening to these these stories of what's going on. And, and then, you know, you, you, you look at the TV and you've got that smug face of Matt Hancock and you know what he's, you know, what he's guilty of personally. He, he, said, it, um, he said it openly, speaking to a Tory MP who happens to be a doctor, he openly said, you know, how do we give people a good death? Well, how about not killing them for a start? Uh, well, exactly. That's right. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you if you've got a care home, I mean, I remember my my granddad was was in a home, my mum's dad, and honestly, like these trolleys are coming along and they're just rattling full of medication, and and so you know you, you withdraw all this medication from these people, it's and put a do not resuscitate on them. It's you know it's not hard to kill people, um, and you know they they were going nil by mouth. It's like, okay, so, I mean, what a way to, imagine that, like, you've lived 80 years of your life, you've paid taxes, you've had children, you've had grandchildren, you've fought in the war, you know, some of these people have, have fought for the country and stuff, and then all of a sudden some spotty-faced little prat just says, you know what, put a DNR on that, that's fine, yeah, we'll just stop giving them any medication, we'll stop giving them any food, we'll stop the giving them any water, and we'll stuff them full of narcotics yeah. till they die. And it's like, if you said that to someone in the pub, they go, rubbish rubbish they wouldn't do that it's like mate they are doing that in the tens of thousands been doing it for years that's tomorrow at seven o'clock uh you've got to go on to iconic go onto the website go to gareth's Ike on twitter you'll find it's at iconic as well on twitter do subscribe to it and watch it if you've got a senior relative or anybody that's in care um i spoke uh, to a gentleman um jackie put me in, in touch with him who came on the program to talk about this he's researched it very heavily They've got it all mapped out for people depending on their age. You know, I know you know this, like if you're over 60, you know, and then if you're over 70, this is the sort of care you'll get and this is the sort of care you won't get. And it's effectively about just easing people out, killing people that that, that, that should go on and live, you know, for another few years that could very well be treated for whatever their ailment is. But no, as you said, guys, very succinctly, it must be said, give them midazolam and very strong opioid painkillers and uh, let, let them drift off. Let's kill him. Yeah, it's mad. I mean, we spoke to one lady in that episode, a lady called Emma, who was just awesome, really, like, totally sound. And her grandmother was, was, you know, strapped up to the midazolam and, you know, off you go. And she and her brother were like, we're not having it. And they got in and they got her out, basically kind of, you know, almost through the dead of night, like yeah, smuggled yeah. her her grandmother out. Oh, you know, she's only got a couple of hours left. Well, that was, I think it was about six months ago. And she's absolutely fine. <laughs> She's and, fine um, now, she's and, thriving. And lives at the house with them, you know, and it's like, okay, so, you, you know, if, if you can be alive six months later, you weren't going to be dead in two hours, so what you're doing is murder. Let's give Jackie so, Devoy a massive round of applause here, not just for the story, but of course Jackie was able to get her own dad out of uh, the care home he was in. She basically kidnapped him and got him out of there. Um, the story yeah. was brilliantly covered by the Telegraph, and she came on with me to to to, to give it to me. Amazing story. Yeah, there's no way, guys, that any senior relative of ours, Caroline's mum, will not go to a care home, no matter what. You know, no chance. No, no chance. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. And um, you know, I think it, that's that was another reason why it's important to get these stories out there because it's not just the fact that you know people like Hancock and and, and Luke Evans MP, you know, need to be tried for it because they absolutely do and everyone else that went before them because obviously this stuff's been going on for years it's been upped massively since covid but it was going on before as well um it's also about you know one kind of let's you know pay some respects to the people that have lost their lives but also by alerting people to the fact this is going on you hope that people will have watched that episode or heard your interview with jackie and gone 
I'm going to check on my mum. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Because actually yeah. that sounds a bit like, oh, geez, yeah. And, and then can go in there and, you know, if they need to, get them the hell out of Dodge, you know, and, and you can it can save lives by alerting people to it, for sure. No doubt about it, Gaz. I wanted to ask you, time flies when when, 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 uh, when we talk. It always did, mate. Time is flying. It's already 25 minutes to uh, 7 o'clock. Gaz is going to stay with me with Gaz British for another 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and there's a few things I want to get through in that time. One of them, obviously, is... Look, um, I've seen you play live at the uh, at the big David Icke events, which were terrific. I've seen you live in in, in clubs. I I no sycophant. I love listening to you. Love watching you. You're a fantastic talent. And one of the things about this agenda is one of the things I feel very strongly about is that there's an attack on our souls, guys, by attacking the arts, by attacking music, by attacking theatre. Uh, you know, uh, stand-up comedy, live musical events like like the ones you put on. You've travelled all over Europe, all over the world with your bands over the years, uh, from Cody way back then to your current band. That's definitely an attempt to destroy us mentally, to take all the love and suck all the joy. It's the Dead Poets Society, isn't it? Suck the marrow out of life, ruins things. You are acutely aware of this as a singer-songwriter. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's a conscious thing. And to be fair, it's gone on for a while, like even before this. I mean, this is, you know, this is COVID's performing the funeral, but they've been kind of stabbing away at it for a long time in terms of, you know, the lack of funding in the arts and, and things like that. And then obviously wokeness coming along and destroying stand-up comedy. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything that brings people together, anything that lets us express how unique we are, you know, that's the beautiful thing about music. There isn't one single person on the planet that doesn't like music. Yeah. You know, like you might like Mozart or you might like Cradle of Filth. Like it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. You, you like music. And so, you know, you take that away from from people. And, you know, I've found, Richie, to be honest, like my heart's not been in it for the last year or so. Like I very rarely play guitar. I used to sing to Allura all the time. and I very rarely pick up the guitar. I'm kind of more focused on obviously doing other stuff. And I can't be bothered with gigging and this sort of nonsense. And like, people were doing live stream gigs. I did it twice and I hated it. It's yeah. like I'll try anything twice. But it... It was just, you know, it wasn't like looking at the, you know, whites of people's eyes in the audience. And, you know, I was sat there doing it and you were getting like little likes were popping up and stuff like that. But I'm still basically looking at myself on a screen singing, which is weird and uncomfortable. And I was kind of almost harping back to days when people used to throw bottles at the stage thinking I'd probably rather <laughs> that. Like I'd prefer to be ducking like, you know, bottles of Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I spoke to um, Sean Collins today, actually, um, the comedian, and, and he's like, you know, they they just seem completely, you know, broken, to be honest, you know, because not only have they had their livelihoods taken away from them for, for such a long time, obviously they can't you know, feed their families and stuff, but it's also like it's not a, an estate agent's job where you just do it for the money and then you come home and it's no. like, oh, thank God, that's over, get me a cup of tea. It's like you do it because you love it. It's a vocation it's, as well, you, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's it's because it's part of you. It's part of your soul. And and to so not only are you taking away someone's livelihood, you're basically ripping out the very essence yeah. of their, you know, being and their purpose for being. So it's you know it is completely intentional, and it's it's been a tough one, I have to say, because you know you know they say like never meet your heroes. Yeah. And and then so you're just looking at you know people like Dave Grohl and people like Eddie Vedder Jesus. that are playing these pro vaccine concerts, and then they're playing concerts that you have to be vaccinated to go. Don't get me started. And you're like. 
man, what happened to you? Yeah, you know, you? you know, I'm I am the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan on planet Earth. I am every vinyl, singles, everything. I can't uh, stick him on. I couldn't stick him on last weekend. I couldn't. You know, the idea that working class hero would tell people, you can't come and see me on Broadway unless you've had two jabs. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. What do you yeah. do? You know? Well, what made me laugh about that, Richie, is you. You, you can have two jabs of AstraZeneca and you're That's still right. not allowed to go. Yeah, yeah, he won't allow the AstraZeneca jab. <laughs> what does he know? I mean, if people have had the AstraZeneca jab, surely they're no danger to anybody else, right? But maybe Bruce Springsteen knows something something different. But uh, yeah, that was that, that was strange. We, I mentioned to you before, since we arrived back in the UK from Spain, I started doing what I used to do in my teens, what you've done in your teens, started going to concerts. It didn't matter who, didn't matter. I'd go and see Simply Red, laugh now if you want, I don't care, at the arena. But then I'd go and see the Doobie Brothers at the O2. I would go and see the Mavericks, anybody, because I just love live uh, live music. But, and, and it's killed me for the last couple of years not to be able to have that kind of kind of uh, pressure valve, you know, that you can let, let loose. I remember the night we saw you in Manchester. It's almost like you've got a kind of an elixir in your body, an, el- an elixir, uh, a reservoir of good. And for me, going to live music, going to see you, going to see the, the other um, bands I like, it kind of tops it up, you know, it gives you a feeling of great well-being for weeks afterwards. So I'll, we'll buy tickets for everything, guys. You know, I don't smoke. Caroline doesn't, you know, smoke, doesn't drink. We don't have children, so our outgoings are not that much. So we buy these tickets for a concert. So we do have tickets for Elton John's Goodbye, Farewell, Yellow Brick Road fucking concert. I'm going to fess up live on air. We have tickets for that. But um, we know we won't be going. Old Elton wants everybody to be jabbed to be Jesus, you know. <laughs> so forget about yeah. it. Forget about it. I was so looking forward, guys, to closing my eyes and singing candle in the wind and thinking about Lady Di and all of that jazz. No, I wasn't. But um, yeah, so I've kind of resigned myself now. I, 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 like yourself, I'm thinking, you'll probably never see anybody again. Well, I will. If you get back on the road with the lads, I'll see you, of course. I'll travel anywhere to watch you play. But anybody else, no, it's not going to be possible by the looks of it. You mentioned at the top of the programme and it's good to come back to it. Having the passport to show that you've been tested or you've been jabbed, that's going to be necessary to go and see the latest Christopher Nolan film, isn't it? It is, in the future. It will, it will be for everything, I think, and, yeah. until people say no on a large enough scale. I mean, what is it they say, you know, about um, you know the arms industry and, and the, the, the military industrial complex, the fact that it's too big to fail, the industry is too big to fail, yeah. so there will always be lobbying and, and there will always be war because it's too big to fail. And, you know, the, the testing, PPE, vaccine... Um, industry is bigger than the war machine, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and all these people that so-called make the decisions, like your Matt Hancock's and people like that, they, you know, they've all got financial interest in these things. They're all connected, and so that you know, are they are they going to all of a sudden say, "Oh, don't worry about it"? I doubt it. Yeah. You know, they they're going to want to keep it going um, forever. You know, particularly the testing, obviously. You know, because that's the beauty of the test, where you can you know, change the amplification, you can create a pandemic or take one away whenever you want. You know, you can, you can, you can ramp it up. So say there's a third or fourth or 35th wave. And then <laughs> once you've got a jab in everyone, you can pull the amplification down for a couple of months to make it seem like the jab's working. So people go and get it. You know, it's, I'd love to know what happened to Kerry Mullis. 
because his death was very convenient, Mitchie. The, the inventor of the PCR test, the man who himself said it should not be used to detect viral load in people. That's right, and, uh, and and did die in circumstances many feel to be strange because of the timing, guys. Yeah, why not? I mean, look, it's not as if they've not murdered people before. I haven't even brought up on the programme, John McAfee. I don't know why I haven't brought it up because I've interviewed him twice on this programme, twice. Once when he was coming under pressure to allow the Secret Service's backdoor access into people's computers and he said no and he came on to talk about that I found him very eccentric but also very engaging uh, the chap said um, listen if anything happens to me I didn't kill myself I'm not laughing by the way because I don't think it's funny uh, I'm just I- incredulous really and then we, we, we learned last night that uh, he killed himself in Spain yeah sure he did is what I would say yeah, well, yeah, it's just another... Of course he did, guys, yeah. Epstein all over again, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, mentioning the madness of things, before we run out of time, you were travelling yesterday extensively, of course. I was watching Sky News. You you may have come across the story today, you may not have. Most people haven't heard it. I covered it last night. Um, they've invented a great big old machine and they used it at Teesside Airport yesterday. Haven't had the pleasure of Teesside Airport myself now. But it's a new machine, guys, and it sucks air into it, just everyday air. And it analyzes the air and it will tell you if there's much COVID in the air. I shit you not, right? Wait for it. Um, So Sky News is there live, all very excited, guys. And they spoke to the inventor of it, a gentleman from East Asia, I think. And he was thrilled to bits with his machine. And he explained how it works, right? He said, we can use it in really big indoor areas. We can test the air constantly. Now, of course, you know that will inevitably result in the near future. Lots of things being shut down all the time. No, we've just turned the machine on and we found some COVID. Get out and we'll close the venue. But you know what? The greatest part of it was, Gaz, was when the Sky guy said to him, so where did you come up with this? Oh, we've, we've been working on this for two years. DARPA, DARPA, DARPA gave us the money. DARPA. Of course they did. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's just, oh, mate. Laugh, I just like, laughed out loud. You know, what are you, what are you it, going to do? I'm at that point now, Richie. Like, <laughs> I, there is a funny meme that I saw a while ago where, where it's just someone driving and out the window there's a cow flying in the air. <laughs> and it just says, like, I was going to say something, but you know what I mean? And it, it, it feels like that now. I, I reckon if, if, if a cow fell off the roof opposite, I'd go, oh, that's annoying. That's, and then just carry on with my day. This is it, mate. Speculation time before we um, thank you for coming back and and, uh, and let you get back to the family. Speculation time. I, I, I'll always invite John because I love talking to you. And I must mention again, right now is on at seven o'clock on Fridays on the iconic platform. Do check it out. It really is very, very good. And it's produced very well too, which helps people. It helps when it looks good and sounds good. Um, so if I'm giving you, a, I mean, I'll call you this year again and then I'll call you again in the spring of next year. What will it look like in spring next year? Will Will we be any closer to dismantling all of this or is it going to be, is it Game of Thrones? Is it going to be a long winter? What do you think? Well, that that depends on us. I honestly think it, it, it does. And, and in terms of an answer, like I was having a conversation today with a couple of guys run run a gym that I used to work at and it was like, but it could be ended overnight. It literally could. Like If, if you go back to March last year, if, if the government gone, right, we're, we're shutting down everyone's business, we're locking down, and every business went, <laughs> you yeah. know what, and then just carried on, it's done. Yeah. It's it's Over. done. 
And so that's, you know, that's my one hope at the minute is, you know, a lot of people that weren't, they're not on our page at all, but they are starting to realize that because you don't need to really know the level of the deception to actually go, but there is a deception, isn't there? Um, you know, whether you believe the whole thing's manufactured, whether you think it came from a Wuhan lab, whether you think that they're just exploiting it, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you've accepted the fact that you're being lied to. And I, I would actually say, I think about 70, 80% of the population fit into that category of actually, yeah, this isn't about a virus, is it? And if you can then convert those people to go, I'm done, um, that would end it. And and I think a lot of people had June 21st as their, it ends then. I've complied the whole time. You know, I've heard, I've had conversations with people that have had both jabs that have said, no, I'm done. From June 21st, I'm done. Yeah. Like I've, I've done everything that was asked to me. I'm not playing anymore. And from what I've seen, particularly down in Cornwall, no one's playing games anymore. And, and interestingly, it's funny, Richie, like I, I love steam trains, as you know, because I'm just a geek like my dad. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I took, it was a raining, it was a rainy day and it was like, okay, we won't go to the beach. So we went, we found this little steam railway um, in Cornwall. It was lovely. And so I'm there with law, everything's great. And then idiot me looks out the window, obviously. So I got soot right in the eye, like, oh man, it burnt. <laughs> and to a point where I ended up um, having to go to hospital, I had to go to, to no the way. minor injuries because it was like ridiculous. I couldn't drive. I couldn't see out of it. It was agony. Um, you know, those people that think I'm a Freemason shill now think I'm also part of that left eye, black eye QAnon club, which is all, all good. But, um, but then I, I kind of, so I went into hospital and I was dreading it because I was just thinking this is going to be absolute maskyville. It's going to be testyville. It's going to be crap. And I am in agony. So I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, have some very awkward conversations. They didn't give a monkeys, mate. Brilliant. They were the most lovely staff. I literally walked in, no mask on. No one asked me to put one on. No one asked me to take a test for anything. She flushed a litre of saline through my eye while having a wonderful conversation about stuff. And it was great. And it was really interesting because she said um, she was talking about Netflix and her and her husband watching these series. And she was saying, yeah, she said, I, um, we were often looking for things to do because obviously, you know, we've had nothing to do through COVID. And I was thinking, oh, isn't this a hospital? <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought you were up to your eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. I thought everyone was working double shifts. Apparently All right. not. Oh, you just been watching Netflix. Fair enough. That's all I was doing as well. And in between but, um, the Netflix, yeah, that did make me laugh. In between the Netflix, we had the TikTok routines as well. Don't forget those; uh, those were great at the time. Listen, thanks for coming back, uh, Gaz. Folks, it's right now. That's the program. It's on Iconic. There are a lot of excellent programs on the Iconic platform. Uh, it's seven o'clock on Fridays. Gaz, uh, I'm sure it's an old cliche, mate, but I'm sure Gemma can't wait uh, seven weeks out. All the best to all three of you in the coming weeks. It'll be an amazing thing for you again. You went through it before. You you have some idea. Um, and Laura will have a, a, a brother or a sister. That'll be an amazing thing for all of you. So the best uh, of uh, of everything to you, to Gemma and to Laura, obviously to your dad and everybody involved with, with Iconic. Um, just before you pop off, Saturday, obviously, uh, major protests and assemblies around the country are you involved on saturday or have you more pressing yeah, yeah. things to do you are you're going to london, london mate yeah i think you know i have these conversations a lot and it's like kind of yeah but what do they do they don't change policy and it's like well no maybe they don't but what they do is they get so many people together um that are kind of alone you know their family i've met yeah, so many yeah. people whose family members have disowned them They've got no one and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're there with half a million people like them. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. And 
you know, I think these protests actually save people's lives. And um, so they're really important, which is why I, I do my best to, to never, never miss one. That's a perspective I never considered. I've I've never been critical of the protests, ever. I have not. I think they're great. I've always just wished that something more would come out, you know, that people would go back to their own streets or whatever and decide, right, how can we get together in a way that we cannot comply? How can we build non-compliance? I hadn't considered that perspective of people who are on their own and nobody's listening to them and they can see through the charade. So you've given me a different perspective on it, uh, Gaz. Iconic on Fridays, well, every day, seven o'clock right now. Been a pleasure, mate. And all the best for mate, the coming seven weeks. thank you so weeks. much. It's, been, it's wicked talking to you, Richard. I can't wait till we can, you know, go and have a pint again. I'll have to um, get my, my backside up your way. Well, me, me neither, mate. And I hope when you do come up, I hope it's with the band so we can go and see you and have a proper night out. Brilliant, oh, brilliant, fun, guys. Yeah. All the best to the family, to Jamie, your dad, your mum and everybody else. And we'll speak again real soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Richie. Bye, care, bye for now. Uh, the great Gareth Ike there on the Richie Allen Show for Thursday. The programme is right now. It's 7 o'clock on Fridays. Gemma Cooper. Uh, this Friday, Gaz mentioned a couple of whistleblowing nurses as well. Check it out on the iconic platform. It's 8 minutes to uh, 7 o'clock. Let me read out a couple of tweets there while I still have time to do it. Hi to uh, Patricia. Patricia says, Richie, if everyone everywhere in the world just decided I'm done and then acted upon it, what actually could the powers that shouldn't be do? We outnumber them. We just have to realise our power, in my opinion. You're absolutely right, Patricia. It's that... I I, I made a, a silly reference some years ago about the Wes Craven film A Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's... The, the final scene of the film is a bit silly... The bad guys always come back in the horror movies. But before Freddy comes back, he's dispatched by Heather Langenkamp's character, Nancy, I think she's called, because she says to him, he, he he's a boogeyman who comes into her dreams. He's a paranormal presence. He's not a physical presence. He's a metaphysical presence. And she realises that all the terror, all the fear has been down to the fact that she has believed in his ability to dominate her existence, to dominate her life. And at the end of the film, spoilers here, by the way, she says, um, I can't believe that I believed in you. Something along those lines, every bit of power you ever had, I gave it to you. But not, no more, I'm turning my back on you. You're nothing, she says to him. I think she then says to him, you're shit, and turns away from him. And that power is gone and he disappears. And I used to use that analogy. When it comes to authority, it's very similar. The power that these people wield is completely based on our, our accepting of it and our acknowledgement of it. Us saying, yeah, okay, you do have this power over me then. You do get to tell me how to think, how to be, how to live, where to go. But you're right, Patricia, if you say, no, you, you don't, I'm going to turn my back on you. Gareth made the point, I've been saying this since last year, all that the UK's businessmen and women needed to do was to say no. That's all they needed to do. When this began back in March of last year, businesses just needed to say, what? Close down? Not earn any money? 
send my employees home? Fuck off. Of course not, you mad bastards. No. Uh, Go away. I'll open my business again tomorrow. Now, if everybody had done that, there are not enough police, not enough army personnel in the country to do anything about it. We were taught when we were young, excuse me, that bullies are pretty useless when people stand up to them. And throughout history, that has been proven to be entirely accurate. Bullies don't know what to do when people stand up to them and tell them where to go. I've seen this in my own personal life over the years. I've said it a thousand times. I've encountered some serious bullies during the course of my 46 years. And by standing up to them and telling them and looking them in the eye and saying, no way. And it hasn't meant, you know, it hasn't always resulted in violence. Not always. Uh, most of the time it hasn't. Bullies are useless when people say, no, you don't own me. You don't get to tell me how I live, where I go, what I can eat, who I can hug, who I can invite to my wedding. You don't get to tell me that. You're scum. You and the person standing next to you. So I will turn my back on you now and do what I want to do because it's lawful. Maybe under God's law. It is earthly lawful. I'm a free person. I'll I'll, I'll do what I want. So So long as I'm not hurting anybody else, so long as I'm not imposing myself on anybody else, I will live as I choose to live. And if everybody had done that last year, uh, Gaz was right. It would it would have been over in the blink of an eye, and it could still happen. Could happen tomorrow. If the chambers of commerce around the country got together and said, "Look, enough of this bullshit now. Let's go back to living the way we used to live," and it's important that the private sector takes adopts the attitude that I've just been talking about and doesn't allow the government pass the baton to it, to the private sector, to keep these stupid restrictions going, masking and distancing and all the rest of it. Look, I've said enough. Big shout to Gaz, uh, to Gareth Ike. Thanks, Gareth, again. You and I will speak next time on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time, because uh, Sunday morning melodies... That's why I'll be playing a few tunes and having a chat with you between 10 and noon on Sunday. Look after yourselves and one another. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm closing out of the programme today with this one from Lou Reed from the album Transformer, which is terrific. Speak to you real soon. Bye from me. Bye.